know you're new to Total Comfort, just kind of get a feel for you and your experience with HVAC and uh, specifically indoor air quality. Are, are you new to both or have you been working in the industry for a while? Can you kind of give me a quick background? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so I've been here about four, going on five months. And prior to that, I, um, in earlier life, I had a solar business for five years and I was installing solar panels on houses and businesses. And the connection here is when I was installing solar panels, before I would do that, I would try to get their power bills and try to see, you know, how are things looking as far as their usage and then try to dial them in and, and, I would talk to building performance issues, but I couldn't, you know, execute those. I didn't know what I was talking about. Um, and so that's the tie with where we are today. Um, but I've learned a ton so far about HVAC and, um, I'm still learning every day though. So I'm not an expert, but I'm more of a novice at this point, I guess. I gotcha. Understood. So, well, that at least gives me a little bit of basis to uh, go on. Uh, I know this technology, you know, especially when you combine it with HVAC, is a lot to digest because it it's very integral to most HVAC systems. So it's kind of understanding each system and best applications for this. But that's where um, that's where the partnership comes into play. That's very. Uh, very productive because with us being a partner of all these ABM link companies, um, that means you have direct support from GPS. Uh, just to give you a little bit of background about myself, uh, I'm the National Strategic Account Manager for GPS, so I manage uh, the ABM link portfolio across the country. I also work with other nationally based contractors. <clears throat> so literally from east to west coast and everything in between, I support um, uh, potentially as much as 460 different offices uh, and, and private businesses. So, uh, and one of the things that I do uh, often is guide them through uh, best application practices and, and things of that nature. So it's 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 not uncommon. A perfect example is I was just on the phone about an hour ago with a, a, a gentleman from Hollywood, California, who has a movie studio that wants to do our you know, technology and he has all this equipment and he's not even sure what he should do for applications and which product would work with, with, you know, with the particular architecture out there. So he's literally calling me and I'm walking him through that. And tomorrow we're going to get on a call with that studio and kind of walk them through some of the options. So sometimes it's a matter of if you have a lead and you have someone who's very interested in the technology and you're like, geez, I don't, I don't want to say the wrong thing or what do I do, then reach out to me. I don't mind getting on a call and walking you through it or doing something in tandem with your customer to kind of explain, hey, here's the technology, here's the science, here's what it does, and here's how it's best applied. Does that make sense? Yeah, and that's where we are today because I've, I have a hotel that is interested in this, but they've kind of gone quiet on me, and I think it's because I don't know it enough to – be passionate about it. Um, right. I, I was told about it through a guy in the office and he tried to explain it to me and I watched the little video on the website, you know, and uh, I ultimately would love to get one or, or two of these in my house um, to try to 
because I know that was the pivotal point with the solar. Once I got the solar on my house, I could talk to it. I could show the app on my phone. You know, I, I, I really was very passionate about it, and I believed in right. it. Um, right. So I, that was my reason for trying to set this up is because if I can get a little bit more he has 90 90 to 100 rooms that he's wanting to put this in installing them into the PTAC units uh, in each room because he's having severe molding around the caulk in the bathtub and it's because the fans are not properly sized and just not getting a lot of flow through there and so all that moisture just sitting in the bathroom and causing mold on the caulk of the bathroom. Well, so what's amazing about what you just said is we literally uh, just did a beta down at the coast. And you're in Columbia, correct? Yes, sir. So we just had a, uh, if, you, if you don't mind me asking, who who is the, uh, the uh, hotel? I mean, is there uh, is town, Marriott? Or? Town Place Suites. Town Place Suites. They're part of the Marriott chain yeah gotcha but you if you have an example have or deal, if you, have you a, wouldn't have to be dealing with a gentleman by the name of harvey would you no okay the only reason that i ask is we had a we had a hotel chain down at the coast had a very similar issue uh they had um very little outside air coming in actually didn't even have an outside air fan dedicated unit bringing fresh air in. they were supposed to be doing that through the p tags but someone long ago had shut off all the vents so, same thing, mold and mildew issues. We put a beta CI2 unit, which I'll show you in a minute here, uh, in that room, and the manager came in literally within a week and said, this is incredible, I cannot smell any of that typical mildew smell, because we put it in the room that had the most complaints. Um, so, some pretty profound effect out there, which, of course, we can do the same for you, kind of beta that one room, or, you know, just... Uh, pull the trigger on the product but what I want to do today is I want to type kind of take you through this um, you basically have about a half an hour do you have do you have something at 145 or two o'clock uh, I had yeah I've got something here let me look but uh, I got a 230 I've got to go to but it takes about 30 minutes to get there so I need to leave about two o'clock yes okay so I'll try let me jump right into this and I'm going to give you kind of a truncated version, but ideally what I'd love to do, um, if schedule allows, is come down in person. I mean, we're, what, an hour and a half away from each other, and maybe do the same thing in person with your group down at your office one morning. That'd be so, great. Um, I'd definitely like to set that up if you're all interested. So getting right into it, uh, this is just a disclaimer that says, you know, we recommend you follow all state and national guidance on you know, good IAQ. Um, but the company is not was not born in the pandemic like you see a lot of the other companies were. Um, we've been around since 2008. Our founder, Charles Waddell, has an extensive past in indoor air quality, uh, worked with other ionization technologies and wanted to kind of pivot and move away from some of the Achilles heels of the older technology, most notably the need for replacement parts and the fact that those older technologies often created byproduct. So that's what caused him to create what we now know as needlepoint bipolar ionization, a very unique ionization technology. And it's formed around a better process, better research, and better delivery. That, believe it or not, is actually our founder, Charles Waddell, who's our currently our uh, 
Chief Technical Officer. This is Dr. Sobek. We actually have on staff a microbiologist. We have a physicist, and we have a um, uh, someone who does chemical analysis as well, so a chemist. Um, so we're very, very heavy into the science. But the bottom line is our technology is a multi-layered approach indoor air quality. It's often used as an enhancement on top of existing filtration with your HVAC, um, and it offers key benefits around it. Upgraded enhanced filtration with the added benefit of particle agglomeration, which I'll explain in subsequent slides. Uh, obviously, that inherent in those effects are the deactivation of certain viruses and bacteria and particulate odor removal as well. And then there's a whole aspect of this with cost and the implications of life cycle cost because comparative to other IQ technologies, this is superior in the fact that it doesn't need any replacement parts. The majority of product line doesn't even require maintenance. There's very low energy consumption. And there's also auto uh, cleaning uh, features on a lot of our products that mitigate the need for um, maintenance. So a lot of people ask us how many markets we're in. I mean, that is as diverse as you as your imagination provides. Everything from agriculture, arenas and stadiums, convention centers, manufacturing, office buildings, hotels and hospitality, schools and university, transportation. Um, these are just an example of some of the top-tier clientele that we work with. We're certified in multiple different uh, disciplines and environments. Uh, we carry the EPA uh, certification. We're registered with the EPA. We're also re registered with the aviation industry, uh, one of the unique technologies that doesn't interfere with line noise or ele electromagnetic frequency. We carry the health and safety standard mark for this uh, European Union. Uh, which is the C mark, but this one by far is the most important um, uh, certification that we cover, which is the UL2998 standard. And basically what that is, is that's certifying our products against zero ozone emissions. So unfortunately, a lot of uh, indoor air quality, especially around ionization, um, historically in the past, has produced byproduct, most notably ozone. Um, the number one reason that we became our own technology and our own company is because we wanted to steer clear away from any potential to create harmful byproducts. So every single one of our products, commercial rated products, has all been tested and certified by the most stringent zero ozone emission certification in the industry, and that is UL2998. So you'll see that standard applied across the board to every one of our products. That's not something a whole lot of other ionization technologies can claim. They may have one or two products, and it gets even dicier when you go and test those independently that some of those products don't even meet those standards. So what are ions? Basically, uh, the long and short of it is an ion is an atom or molecule that carries either a positive or negative charge. That's as simple as it gets. The other question that I get a lot is, are these natural and safe? And the answer to that is yes. You've actually been exposed to ions without even knowing that because if you've been to like the base of a waterfall or high up in the mountains or in the crashing surf, you'll have a tendency to have very large, uh, very high density amounts of ions. Basically, in very pristine areas, you'll have a lot higher density of ions. 
And it's more or less one of nature's way of cleaning the air, providing a, a fresh air environment. Uh, out in nature, you'll see sometimes ion levels as high as 17,000. I've seen it all the way up to 100,000. We actually had one of our uh, one of our distinguished lecturers go to Niagara Falls and ride the the boat at the bottom of the falls and take ion measurements, which showed ion levels all the way up to 100,000 uh, per cubic centimeter, which is very very high, very dense. And as you can imagine, the air there was extremely pristine. So the unfortunate thing is when you get into urban sectors, that those ion levels go significantly down. That's because you have the infiltration of fumes and pollutants, wildfire smoke, all kinds of different contaminants that are in the air that neutralize those ions. And when you get indoors, those ion levels deplete even further because now you have an enclosed envelope, a lot of human activity, a lot of bleed off from chemicals. Um, so it's not uncommon to see ion levels very, very low, sometimes as low as just a couple hundred ions per cubic centimeter. So knowing that ions are a big factor in cleaning the air and reducing contaminants, um, it's very important to bolster those ion levels. So what our technology doing in essence is simply just recreating artificially those ions and injecting them into the HVAC system airflow to bring that dirty air back to its natural fresh clean state. So there are three key effects from our technology. So, and I'll go through all these, uh, you know, piece by piece. But basically, suffice to say, we target and remove particles out of the air. This is huge, and that also incorporates particulate odors as well. So there's three effects: the targeting and removing of particles, the removal of odors out of the air, and then this is a big one, obviously, since the pandemic, the reduction of certain viruses and bacteria. What we like to say, the deactivation. Uh, of those viruses and bacteria. Now, considering the fact that you have particles in the air of all different characteristics, so what is a particle? A particle, very simply, it can be dust, it can be dander, it can be smoke, bacteria, viruses. There are a number of different uh, specific characteristics of particles. It can be skin cells. I'll show you in a little bit a uh, slide of all the different sizes of these particles. Um, but what we're doing, in essence, is we're agglomerating these particles and removing them out of the air. So I wanted to take just a quick second to explain the process of agglomeration and why it's so important. Because a lot of these particles basically exist in the air in a very, very small form. Um, they're basically so small they can barely be seen by the eye. Um, and what the ha tends to happen is these can remain suspended in the airflow for an extended period of time. And some of these are so small, and the characteristic of the particle is such that it can't be moved very well by the airflow. So the analogy that I like to use is one of a sailboat on the water. So imagine, if you will, that you have a sailboat, you have high winds, and you pull down that sail off the mast in, as the wind is blowing. Well, then it doesn't matter how hard the wind's blowing, um, no matter what, even with the high wind, you're not going to get the sailboat to move across the water because you've removed the mast out of the sail. That's the condition of a lot of the particulate that remains in the air. Because of its physical characteristic, it's just not easily moved in the airflow. So what we're doing is we're electrostatically charging these particles by injecting both positive and negative ions into the space. We're able to attract 
particulates of opposite polarity. So a positive ion will actually attract to a negative particulate, and negative ion will attract to a positive particulate. And as they come in contact, they start to snowball. They start to bind together electrostatically. And that creates an increase in mass and size characteristic that now, just like adding that sail back to the mast on that ship, allows it to move with the airflow, now you've created a mass and a characteristic of that particle, which now can capture the airflow in the ventilation air and thus be moved with the air back through the return filtration and trapped in the filter. Does that make sense? Yep. So essentially what we're doing is binding those particulates together, making them larger, making them easier to move in the airflow to filtration, and then once they get to filtration, easier to trap. And I'll go into that in a brief second. The secondary effect of uh, ionization is what we do to pathogens and certain viruses and bacteria. So in addition to agglomerating that particulate and removing it out of the air, there's a secondary effect of what happens when an electrostatic particle comes in contact with a virus or a bacteria. What happens in essence is that there's an interaction between the ion and that pathogen where we're actually disrupting the surface proteins of that pathogen and we're causing it to decay much faster than it normally would. So again, with an analogy, if you can imagine, you know, if I have an apple and I set it out on a table in a conference room, it would take days and days and days to see some degradation of the apple. Now, if I were to take that same apple and skin it and put it out on that table, within hours you'd start to see browning, you'd start to see a decay of the apple. So in essence, that's exactly what we're doing with a lot of these viruses and bacteria is we're rendering, we're disrendering that surface protein, we're making, we're allowing that pathogen to break down much faster to be exposed to the elements. And what happens is the deactivation of that pathogen is much, much faster than natural decay. So we're making that inert much quicker than it normally would. And then of course, the, the fact that we tackle odors much in the same way that we do particulates through that agglomerating process and removing them out of the breathable airspace. So I wanted to get into some of our recent testing and to set that up, I wanted to kind of give the why of, of kind of what you're gonna see in these testing results. Um, the why is that, as I just mentioned, there are all these different harmful particles in the air. You have everything from viruses, corona, influenza, rhinovirus, um, all kinds of different contaminants that exist in the air. Uh, in addition to bacteria, smoke, fungi, VOCs, skin flakes, pollen, you can just anything you can imagine that exists in the air. Now the issue is all of that exists in your breathable airspace, but not all of that can be filtered out of the breathable airspace with existing HVAC filtration. So the issue is when you look at some of the MERV filters, basically anywhere from MERV 4 all the way up to MERV 16, they have an inherent weakness. There's a certain size of particulate that they're just not capable of filtering out of the air. Um, and what we've committed ourselves to is being able to enhance that existing level of filtration to get that particulate that can't be removed by standard filtration out of the air altogether. So I keep moving out my mouse here. So it's important, it's important to kind of get an idea of particulate size. So on this slide, you're going to see 
basically um, this is a representation of all different sizes of particulate. Right up here to give you an idea of the scale of this uh, of these sizes, this is actually human hair, and that measures anywhere from 50 to 180 microns is, is standard of measurement that we use. Um, this is actually a uh, grain of sand, and then you have salt. And as you get down into these ranges where you're looking at 25 um, microns down to 15 and 10, here's where you start seeing those those particulates remaining airborne in there, you know, capable of being airborne. And then as you get down in this range right here where you're into the dust particles, it's scary to think that you have red blood cells floating around in the air. Um, but when you get into respiratory droplets, red blood cells, dust particles, pollen, these are things that not only can be airborne, but can also just remain in the airflow for an extended period of time. Um, now, considering the fact that you basically have um, folks who spend 90% of their time indoors and are breathing roughly about 20,000 breaths per day or 440 cubic feet of air daily, it's very important to understand what is actually in that air. So within that cubic foot of air, you can have anywhere from 18 to 20 million airborne particles existing in there. Now, the really scary thing is the vast majority of those particles that are in the air are basically in this size range right here. So you're looking at 99% of the particles that are floating in a single cubic foot of air are in this micron range of less than one micron in size. Now, why is that so important? So I'm going to show you if my uh, pointer will. I'm going to show you that that's very important because that is the exact size that basically can't re be removed out of the air. So when we look at when we look at the metrics of performance, like how do we evaluate performance? There's two key factors uh, inherent in those metrics. Number one is how much particulate can we remove out of the air. And number two is how fast can we remove it? Because in a static environment, it's great to get the particles out of the air. And you can get the particles out of the air, and if there's no movement, you can kind of keep the stasis there where you have very little particles being reintroduced. But the minute you start having environmental factors like activity or um, chemical bleed off or any of those things that can regenerate particles, then it becomes very important not only to get the amount of particulate out of the air, but how quickly can you do that? Because you're constantly regenerating particulates in this environment that you see here or an office setting with that human activity. So what we want to measure basically are two things. We want to measure the amount of particulate that you can get out of the air, but we also want to measure how quickly we can do that. And one of the things that we did when we kind of set up our testing is we wanted to see, based on traditional results, what the MERV filters were currently doing. So this graph that I'm showing you right now, this is basically an, a, a um, this is basically a combined uh, performance record of all the MERV filters from MERV four, as you can see right down here. This black line represents a MERV four filter, all the way up to a MERV sixteen filter. This is right under HEPA. So what this x-axis represents are all the different sizes of particulates, everything from a 0.01 level particulate, meaning in microns, all the way up to 10 microns in size. 
Now, interesting, from the filter industry, what you'll often see is they rate their performance on 2.5 uh, micron size of particulate. And as you can see, as you start getting up into the uh, MERV 8 and MERV 10 filters, which are the most widely in use, you'll see pretty good performance in that. So this is your basically your 2.5 level particulate. If you remember on that slide, this is kind of respiratory droplets, maybe pieces of pollen, things of that nature, dust particles. Uh, but what's very interesting is across the board with all these filters, from everything from a MERV 4 all the way up to a MERV 16, when you get into this size range of one micron and smaller down to 0.10 in micron size, there's a significant drop in performance. So a perfect example would be to follow the performance line of say a MERV 8 filter. A MERV 8 filter in this size range, everything higher than one micron, is plus 70, let's just call that 75% ability to remove that filter. Now this is over here, this y-axis, which I failed to mention, is the amount of particles that has been removed out of the space. So the particle removal efficiency, everything from 0% all the way to 100%, okay? So what this represents on this side is this particle range, let's just call this 2.5 level particles, this MERV-8 filter is saying, hey, I can remove 75% of those particle sizes out of the air. But as you get down into the submicron particles, one micron and below, you see a significant drop in performance from 75% all the way down to less than 10%. So these particles that constitute 99% of the particles in a cubic foot of air, only 10% of those are removed out of the airflow when you use a MERV-8 filter. Going up even to a MERV-10 filter, you can see that you have close to 93% removal efficiency in these larger particles. But again, look at the drop in performance when you get down into this range, 0.1 to 1.0 in micron size. You're literally at, again, almost less than 10% of the amount of particles removed. So why is that so important? Because right in that particle range, you basically have some of the most um, impactful particulates that can affect your health. These are the submicron part particles that can not only remain suspended in the air for extended period of time, but this can be the type, the size of particle that gets ingested into your respiratory system, very deep into your lungs, and because of its size can actually be absorbed into the bloodstream. And when you look at coronavirus and wildfire smoke, they're potentially some of the more hazardous particles that can remain in the air. So what we wanted to do was we wanted to definitively uh, measure the performance of basically a standard filter, one of the most ubiquitous filters out there in use, which is going to be your, your MERV-10 versus on that alone versus when you add NPVI to that filtration. So we set up a lab, an A2LA accredited lab in 10 by 10 uh, by 10 air mixing chamber uh, to ASHRAE 52 standards and AHEM standards. And this is basically just an example of the lab. Um, what you'll see is you'll basically see our ionization in here, our measurement devices. This is the path of airflow with the particulates. And of course over here is your MERV 10 filter. So what we wanted to do was we wanted to run the filter alone with that airflow, injecting the particle sizes in there. So this graph represents right down here, 
These are all the different particle sizes that we injected into the room, and this is the rate efficiency of particulate removal. And the lines represent time. So what you're gonna see here, Matt, is after 10 minutes, you basically have probably less than 20% of all these different particles removed, um, all the way up to 40 minutes, where you're gonna see pretty much about a 30% removal of all these particle sizes. And what's interesting to note is again, you see this gap in performance right around this size range, again, where you're gonna have your coronavirus and wildfire smoke. So overall, after 40 minutes, not a very good, um, not a very good performance in this size range of particles. You still have a significant amount of them remaining in the air. So what we wanted to do is we extended that out literally to six hours. Um, and after six hours, you can see again, you still see that that uh, characteristic performance curve. Um, with still a significant amount of particles still remaining in the air in that space. So those are MERV-10 filters alone. And now let's see what happens when you add NPBI to those MERV filters to enhance that particle removal. So this is what very is significant I, uh, comparison to these ch two charts. So again, these are represent time. What is the I, What does IPPI mean again? Needle point bipolar ionization. Gotcha. So that's the technology that we employ. Gotcha. Okay. So what you can see is again we injected that room with all these particle sizes here, and now we're remote. We're monitoring or measuring the efficiency of removal. So how much of that particle has been removed? Again, these lines represent time, just like these other tests do. Now look at this. After ten minutes. When adding our technology to that standard filter, we're already beyond what they could do in 40 minutes. So we're already at 60-some percent of all these particle sizes completely removed out of the air. After 80, after 20 minutes, we're at plus 80 percent. 30 minutes, up into the upper 90s, and then literally after 40 minutes, we shut off the test because you're achieving almost a 100 percent removal of all the particles in the air. So through that process of agglomeration, through that enhancement of filtration, with our technology, we're able to take all those particles after 40 minutes and just about completely remove them out of the airflow. Now compare that to 40 minutes here, and there's a significant, significant delta in performance. So we obviously want to run those tests in triplicate. I posted another test up here just to show you that this is a secondary test. Uh, very similar results. We actually had an anomaly in the room in the testing chamber uh, right here that proves that this is obviously not the same test, but very similar performance. So again, after 40 minutes, we're literally removing close to 100% of that particular out of the room compared to six hours where they still had not achieved those level of removals. Um, so me. I'm trying to get this laser pointer to uh, cooperate. So again, this is just a highlight, a slide that highlights that delta in performance. This is filtration alone and its ability to remove the particles out of the air. And this is filters combined with NPPI, where you basically get close to 100% of removal. So the key takeaways from this are that basically uh, achieving optimal indoor air quality is a continual process in the occupied space, of course, because you're reintroducing particulate constantly. 
But filtration rates and quantities are key metrics for evaluating evaluating an IEQ effectiveness. Um, Conventional MERV filtration alone provides some effect at reducing those particles, but you have an incredible enhancement to that ability for MERV filters to capture particles when you add our technology on top of that MERV filtration. So you significantly decrease the amount of airborne particles in the air, you significantly increase the rate of removal of those airborne particles, and you pretty much close the gap in performance. So in addition to that, and I'm, I'm getting, I'm trying to be as quickly as possible because I know we're really running short on time, we also did uh, virus and bacteria testing, both aerosolized and surface level testing. Um, and what we came up with, you can check these uh, out on our site, are some very phenomenal results, both, both on surface and airborne testing with everything from SARS to influenza to RSV, E. coli, MRSA, and staph. Uh, and these are different deactivation rates that we are able to achieve with certain levels of ion density. using that laser pointer because then it never gives it back. Uh, the big thing these days is, is maximizing ions in the space. And the bottom line, more ions in the space, the more effect and the faster that effect uh, that you can get. So obviously, the closer to the proximity into the space is key. And I'm just going to show you a real quick slide that kind of highlights the different products uh, for key applications. And this is where I'll end because I know you got to get going. So when you're talking about smaller RTUs, when you're talking about like, you know, anywhere from a uh, five ton to a 12 ton unit, um, you're basically talking about being putting things into the air. So there's two different things you can do on an RTU. You can focus on the coil with the iMod, but if you put the iMod on the coil, it's gonna do two things. It's going to clean that coil, keep it free of mold and slime and bacteria and growth and mildew. Um, and it's also going to increase the efficiency and the heat transfer of that coil. It's very good at that. What that will not do is that will not provide uh, maximum ion densities in the space because typically you're going to have a long duct run um, and you're going to have a lot of equipment in the actual unit that those ions have to pass through that are going to deplete those densities. So it's great in here. It's great to create a kill chamber for all air that passes through there. It's great for coil efficiency and keeping the coil clean. It's great for outside odor mitigation, but it's Achilles heel is that it's not really good to maximize the ions down here in the space. The next option on the smaller RTUs, anywhere from uh, one ton all the way up to 12 tons, are these two products, which is the FC24 and the FC48, and we typically install those on the inlet for rim of the fan. But as you start getting up into, now those are for smaller um, ton units with short ducts uh, runs. As you start getting up into larger units with a constant volume system uh, with a much longer duct run, you want to start looking at this duct-mounted DM48, which can be installed both indoors and outdoors. That's got a NEMA 3 enclosure. And you can basically stack those in multiples on the duct, like this picture right here represents. Um, and you basically just match up CFM with the capacity on these units. Each one covers about 4,800 CFM. So in this particular scenario, you're looking at a, um, 
you're looking at a, a duct run that's that's capacity of anywhere from 10 to 15,000 CFM. And of course, that's why you're stacking three of those units to ionize that much CFM. As you start getting into variable air volume systems, basically VAB systems or fan power box systems where you have a lot of boxes on the end of those duct runs, this is where you want to get into our new unit, the DM2, which is meant for install much closer to the space zone applications. And you pick, typically install these on the duct right after the VAV or the fan powered box. And if that's a rounded duct, we also have this um, sleeve, which fits anything from a six inch duct all the way up to uh, a flat surface duct. But this really, really, really maximizes the ions in the space and gets you anywhere upwards of 10 to 15,000 ions coming into that zone. Uh, so a much greater capacity, much greater density. Then when you get into the non-ducted systems, like you're talking about for this hotel where you're in a PTAC unit or a BRF cassette or some of the non-ducted uh, mini splits, this is the ideal product. This is our new compact. Uh, basically, this has an auto cleaning feature as many of these products do as well. But what's very unique about this is it can run off um, uh, all the way from 24 all the way down to 20, 12 volt. Um, very small, very compact, and it has the auto cleaning feature. So um, really, really good product. I'm really running through all this stuff quick because uh, I know you got to go. So um, obviously we can revisit any of this. Once again, the zero ozone emissions, the auto cleaning feature, these are features that you're not going to see on a lot of other project or products. This is a support tool that we have for you which is the resource library. If you want, get up with Christy because I just sent an email out to all of your uh, all of your um, subject matter experts within the ABM link group with all of our most recent tools uh, to assist in your sales efforts. Um, and then we have an open offer to come to our facility. If any of your clientele, like this hotel client, wants to come see our testing facility here in Charlotte, they're more than welcome to do so. Um, so that's a really, really quick run through of a presentation that typically takes about 50 minutes. Yeah, it's great. Um, but hopefully that gave you a little bit better insight into what the technology is and how it works. Yeah, it does. It's very educational on the part about um, what to install where. You know, like uh, there are different applications based on the amount of airflow. That was very helpful. Right. So all those PTAC for the hotels, it would go after the coil, right? Is that what I'm So typically, yeah. I mean, obviously, you definitely do not ever want to put it before filtration. But the PTACs, I think the filtration is basically a screen before the coil anyway. But you can go pre-coil. It will reduce the amount of ions that get out through the supply into the space. What I found on, on the PTAC units is when you pop that cover off the top, you'll typically see the air, the discharge section, and what, they, what they'll what they often have is kind of a mesh screen right over the top of that discharge fan. So obviously someone can't stick their hand in there and get their fingers chopped off. And what we've seen uh, is we've seen people just literally zip tie the, the CI2 right onto that mesh screen so it's right in the airflow. And you have to not, and then of course you put the cover back on, it's pretty much invisible. Uh, to anyone who looks at the unit, but your your ion densities are significant. Um, I mean, literally, we're talking about anywhere from fifty thousand.
thousand to a hundred thousand ions coming out of that that unit. So it's really, really robust. So it's going on top of that screen. Yeah, correct. Okay. So in other words, you know, you remove the cover off that screen that's right over the blower fan housing. Um, you can literally just zip tie it, and then you just you tie it right in uh, via transformer right onto the the power terminal on the unit, and you can run that twenty four volt power. We were trying to do a, we gave him a proposal of like, if we did 10 units, it'd take 10 rooms basically, and then versus 100, um, but I think the 10 is still too large of a beta. Uh, I kind of just want to try one room. Um, you don't have any ideas on what, what, you know, how to go about that or if that's a big deal. It, I'd like that. I love it so that if it works, I could use it as a show place, you know, here in Columbia. So one of the things that I would suggest is, you know, if you have existing mold, like let's say they have, you know, black mold that's forming, you know, I'm not going to tell you. Mold is very difficult. Mold is one of the most difficult pathogens to to combat, so it takes time. What I always suggest is clean the mold off, you know, have them clean everything off because what, what ionization will do very, very well is inhibit new growth. You know, I'm, I'm not going to tell you you're going to put this in and two days later you're going to see that black mold, you know, go completely white because that's not going to happen. Um, so what I would do is I would start fresh uh, by removing any signs of that mold, but then run this and determine whether you have any new mold growth because I think what you'll see is you'll probably see an, an, inhibit, uh, an inhibiting effect from any new mold growth. But what I would highly suggest is going into rooms where you have a noticeable odor, like whether you have mold growth. Another thing is smoking. If anyone smokes in a room, put this in the room, it will, it will destroy smoke smell. Really? It'll even pull the smell out of the sheetrock, yeah. Very, very, very powerful. Um, it's almost like I wish I had like a portable one <laughs> that I could just set up and you know show for a week or something they come pick it back up but right uh, and what I can do is I'll send you some information on the I'll send you I'll send you what I sent out to the SMEs for for the group which please. has got a lot of good information on it that'd be great yeah. yeah, that'd be huge. There was and I a, know we went through this really quick, and you're drinking from a fire hose. So again, you know, if you want to, I'm I'm assuming you get along pretty well with Christy. If you want to present the idea to her that, hey, let's set up a day when Chris can come down the office, kind of like what she had proposed early on. Because I'm assuming you're probably not the only sales guy, correct? No, there's um, there's a, a, another guy here in the office that does maintenance and and. Uh, a few project guys, yeah. So, yeah, and I mean, even some of your ops guys, you know, like your project managers and the the gentleman you mentioned, it's very beneficial to kind of get everyone in the room. We could even, you know, get everyone in there if you want to do a lunch and learn, or just sometime in the morning, you know, on a day that that you guys can spare about an hour. It's really, really effective. Well, I might see what I can do about getting two of these from my house. I got a two ton package and a one and a half split 
I don't know if I go through you on that or what. But. Yeah, I, um, just give me the information on that. Are they pull? Uh, are they? Do you know much about your units? Are they draw through? Or are they? You know, is the blower fan beyond the coil and the airflow, or is it before the coil and the airflow? Uh, beyond the coil, I, I'll have to find out. I'll yeah, th- yeah, that's that's what I'd like to know. And then also. You know, sometimes it's very, very effective. You know, on your supply side of your unit, your air handler, ha- handler. You know, before it transitions to the foil duct, um, if you have enough area in that in that supply side before it transitions to that that cheesy you know foil duct in a residential application, sometimes putting that duct mounted device on there is really good because then you're not going to the blower fan or anything. You're, you're not having any obstacles with your ions before you get into the airflow going out to your space. So if you have enough space on that supply plenum after the blower fan and after the coil, that sometimes is ideal, you know. And just figure out if you have enough space or if it's round or flat, and then, you know, that will determine whether you need that, that, uh, that DM2. All right, and then we'll get you squared away. You said blower before or after the what? The coil. The coil. Oh your, yeah, yeah. Your heating and cooling coil. Right. I'm assuming you have what gas heat. Yep. Yeah. So you're gonna have you're basically gonna have heating coils and DX cooling coils in that air handler, and you want to just determine if you're a uh, pull through or a um, a draw through or a uh, push through meaning you know one configuration has the fan before the coil kind of pushing the air through the coil and the other configuration is is pull through where you're basically your fan is beyond the coil and it's pulling the air through the coil i can find out and the reason why i say that is if your fan blower housing is before the coil then i definitely recommend you doing some kind of install post the coils you don't want to do an inlet fan install if the blower is before the coil, because then, yeah. because sometimes we have, so there's two different ways to install a home unit. One is to put it on the inlet fan of that rim, literally on the rim of the inlet fan. Does that make sense? At the blower fan, uh huh. You can put it right on the side there, and I, I could pull up a picture, but I know you got to go. That's one way to do it, and then the other way to do it is to just get on the duct worker you know, ahead of the unit and put one right on the duct or a transition that's that's stout enough to handle the weight. In other words, you couldn't put it on the foil duct because it would rip it right down from the ceiling because it's too heavy. Um, but you can, if you have a metal transition coming up out of that supply, you have enough room, you could just screw one right to the side and airflow. Very cool. Yeah. Well, let me do a little research and I'm going to get this guy with the hotel on the phone and see if I can... Uh, have another shot at maybe doing a, a, a one room, you know, test or something like that, and uh, we'll go from there. So. All right, sounds good. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much, Chris. All right, thank you. See you later. Bye. Take care.